One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Scoopy Radio, on your airwaves, on an app, on a plane, on a train. Everywhere you need to be, I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoop B, Instagram, Scoop underscore B, Snapchat, Scoop underscore B, and make sure that you most importantly subscribe to the Scoop B radio podcast, 3.5 million streams last year, and we're going and going and going. And this episode of Scoop B radio has a guy that uh, is about as energetic as they come. It's none other than Jerome Junkyard Dog Williams. What's going on, sir? What's up, Man, I'm trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Hey, that's what that, like, that's a good program, too. My mom and dad were on that program. They did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> For those who are tardy to the party, <clears throat> Jerome Junkyard Dog Williams was the 26th overall pick in the 1996 NBA draft by way of the Detroit Pistons. Do you remember your first meal that you ate after you were drafted? After I was drafted, hmm. man, I, I can't, you know what? I can't say that I can't remember my first meal after I was drafted because I know it didn't change. I know that. My meals pretty much stayed the same because that's, you know, one thing about me, I was always about eating a good plate of food and I ran into, you know, I grew up in a southern household. My mom's from the south, south in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I was always eating good, man. Macaroni and cheese, you know, greens, some fried chicken, uh, you know, those are some pork chops. So you could mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm all about comfort food. So it didn't change. It just because just I got drafted, it was I didn't go somewhere I'd never been. It was, it was about it was probably a good plate of food mom's cooking right after the draft. What part of South Carolina are your family from? Or your mother from? Sumter. Sumter, South Carolina. I know that's what it is. My, my grandmother is actually from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Okay. See? So you know. Yes, sir. You already know what time it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Scoopy Radio on the line with your own junkyard, Doug Williams. You, um, I find the juxtaposition of where you are so interesting. You were drafted in 96, the golden era. Some say that began, or that was part of the golden era of the NBA. Teams of teammates with Allen Iverson, with toe to toe with Ray Allen, and then here you are in the big story. Um, I want to start with your time at Georgetown. 
Um, La Jolla's were that deal. You were teamed against Allen Iverson or teamed with Allen Iverson, and then you went toe-to-toe with Ray Allen. What was, I guess, the culture like um, in that locker room uh, with John Thompson, Allen Iverson, and the Jordan 11s being kind of that shoe that was the real deal back then? What was the culture like in Georgetown back then? Man, the culture was just, uh, you know, I think <laughs> growing up in D.C. area, metropolitan area, grew up in Maryland, but I uh, was born at Georgetown University. You know, it was just a, a certain stigma and era around, you know, Georgetown basketball. You know, we had probably more fans than the Washington Bullets. We were, you know, because we were highly ranked those two years I was there. It was a resurgence in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the coming of Alan Iverson, you know, it was just, it was like we were, we were, we were a force to be reckoned with. And not only that, you know, Georgetown was always known for its uh, Nike affiliation and having uh, those Air Force Ones with the Hoyas on the back. Mm-hmm. So when we got the new Jordans, the patent leathers, the 11, it was just, you know, it was fire. It was like, man, these guys got the best shoes, the best jerseys, you know, the best point guard in the business right now. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of excitement. When you look at Allen Iverson and you played with him at Georgetown and you look at guys like Russell Westbrook and Ethan John Morant that went to Murray State, um, do you see any similarities between AI and John Morant and West, Russell Westbrook, because I feel like Allen Iverson was ahead of his time and was judged as a selfish point guard or selfish guard, but now that's accepted as, as the style of play. Do you think he was ahead of his time? Well, well, I mean, I don't, I don't think he was ahead of his time. I mean, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and I think that you know people like Isaiah Thomas, uh, who came before him, uh, Tim Hardaway, uh, really some of the premier ball handlers that just just about six feet tall or a little bit over um, were some of the some of the guys that, you know, kind of paved the way uh, for that type of, of of tenacity, you know, coming from, from a point guard position. Uh-huh. But his athleticism was definitely before his time because he was doing things a little athletically that those guards hadn't done. Um you know, dunking on seven footers and, you know, some of the things he would do in practice, just flat out amazing. You know, one of the quickest, you know, players with the ball in his hands. And, you know, that's what I remember from, from AI. I think that, you know, he took shots, especially in college, that were just tough shots. Those were pro shots. And I don't think anybody on our team was capable of making any of those shots that he was taking uh, off the dribble. And, you know, we had, we were known for, you know, big low post plays. So we had Othello Harrington and had a great hook shot. Um, I was more of a slasher. So, you know, I went first round, AI went first round, Othello went second round and had a long career in the NBA as well. So I think he wasn't really before his time. I think he was just so talented um, they just weren't used to that type of aggressive aggressiveness from that spot, as well as the athleticism to go along with it. I think John Morant is a tremendous talent 
he reminds me a lot of Allen because of the fact he can he can pass the ball uh, with one arm, uh, the length of the court. Uh, he can jump out the gym. He's quick off the first step, as well as uh, able to accelerate towards the rim. So he definitely reminds me of AI, just taller. You know, hmm. got got a little bit more length on his arms, um, uh, but definitely definitely reminds me. But AI had that street edge. He had that edge that I haven't seen um, in any player uh, outside of Russell Westbrook since since he's left. Scoopy Radio on the line with Jerome and Junkyard Dog Williams talking about college, talking about <clears throat> South Carolina. And you're in the big three. The big three is coming up uh, this summer. Are you excited? Absolutely. You know, big three is always exciting. Uh, you know, what Ice Cube and uh, Jeff Klotnitz and, you know, the founding fathers of three on three have put together has been flat out amazing. Um, to be able to create a league and to have it expand and explode the way it has, has just been great for the game of basketball. We've always needed a professional three-on-three. Other countries have it. They're ahead of us in terms of having, you know, years of three-on-three basketball professional in other countries. But now, you know, we have something that we can call our own, the big three, and you know, kids are going to start to play more of it because you're going to have opportunities for scholarships for three-on-three, and it's going to be an Olympic sport in 2020. So very excited about the big three. I was looking at your Wikipedia page, and it says that you sometimes refer to yourself in the third person. Do you do, you do it because you, maybe you were a fan of The Rock? When did it start? <laughs> oh, it definitely, it was, a, you know, I grew up, a WWE fan, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, <laughs> uh, Ric Flair. I mean, all these guys. Uh, I grew up watching the Junkyard Dog himself, the wrestler, and it was just so much fun. And my, my dad used to take me to the matches, so I, that was just my culture of like, you know, how I grew up. So certain instances when I'm being interviewed. And I start talking, and just sometimes that wrestler in me comes out, you know. <laughs> no, I like that. It's always fun to have a fan base, man. When you have a fan base, you can say a lot of things. The Rock says, I mean, I want to talk more about the wrestling thing, man, because um, first of all, um, two of my favorite wrestlers, Razor Ramon and The Rock. Um, Stone Cold is, uh, is up there. Hulk Hogan is up there. Uh, Shawn Michaels is up there. Who, what, um, if you were in the WWE, or excuse me, if you weren't in the NBA, would you have considered actually wrestling? Was that something you had thought of? <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it, but, you know, after I was finished, I, I was offered a WWE contract to wrestle. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a frequent uh, wrestling fan. I would go to wrestling matches. I almost uh, was involved in the, uh, uh, Dennis Rodman, Hulk Hogan, uh, WrestleMania. Because what happened? It, well, leading up to it, they had came to Toronto, and I was there uh, when when uh, Dennis actually stepped out and started challenging uh, Hulk Hogan. So I didn't I didn't go out 
because I wasn't being paid. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that, but, uh, I was very close. So I became a special guest commissioner for WWE a few times. I was a referee. Um, so that was about as close as I got to wrestling for the WWE, but it was a lot of fun. I always, always enjoyed it. And that's ironic that you talked about almost being involved because you do know, uh, that in the 1996 NBA draft, uh, the pick that belonged to the Spurs and went to the Pistons. Uh, Dennis Rodman was involved in that whole pick thing uh, with, with the, the Spurs and the Pistons that involved you. And that Pistons that's right. you. That's right. Yeah, do players right. you know your history? <laughs> do players talk about stuff like that in the locker room? Like, yo, I should have went here, or I was traded for you, or this should have, could have, would have. Was that more just fan banter? No, no, no. You know you. You always end up where you're going to end up. You always end up where you're meant to be. I mean, obviously, the, the Pistons, uh, they wanted me on their team because I was there uh, four-plus years. Uh-huh. And um, and when you're with the organization four-plus years, you're, you know, that's that's a good run, you know, especially in the beginning when, you know, they figure out fast whether or not they're going to keep you or if you're going to be a part of their organization. Uh, so I always thank the Pistons for that. And then by moving me to another team that really, really was after me, the Toronto Raptors, um, that also helped my career. You know, I was able to play alongside, you know, Vince Carter, Antonio Davis, Alvin Williams, and Bo Peep. Um, right. And, and getting out of the, the first round of the playoffs. So, um, you know, almost, uh, what, seven out of my nine years, I was in the playoffs in the NBA. and. You know, that's a that's a good feat. That's that's some good those are some good numbers right there. Super Radio on the line with the junkyard dog and Jerome Williams talking about uh, his career. Make sure to subscribe to the Scoopy Radio podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, App Store, Chat, and Spotify. I want to talk about the Detroit Pistons, man. Um, have you gotten a chance to watch them this year? Um, you know, what? I haven't watched them that much this year. Um, but I do say, based on what the games I have watched, um, they have one of the strongest front courts in the NBA. You know, Blake Griffin, uh, he changed the dynamics in Detroit. Uh, he's really, he's really put a lot of the East teams, uh, that cannot match up well with him in peculiar situations because very many, there's very few stretch fours on the Eastern side. Uh, of the NBA and it shows because he has definitely been a force on the Eastern Conference. I mean, he's beaten the Toronto Raptors four times this year. Uh, and I think Dwayne Casey has something to do with that as well, being the former head coach of those guys. Uh, but the, the Pistons, the Pistons have, you know, a pretty good team and, uh, if they didn't sleep on them, you know, you could have some problems. Are you surprised um, that they've done as well as they did? Because I, I feel like last year their team was was composed better. This year, I felt like their roster was different. Are you surprised by how well that they're doing this year? It is surprising because, you know, by losing Tobias Harris, I thought that was going to, you know, cause them to have a dip. Um, you know, he... He's such a versatile player, and, you know, what he brings to the table, he, he covers up a lot of mistakes, and he's able to really, uh, 
you know, uh, impose his will. So I didn't really think that, you know, that they were going to be able to, you know, withstand it. But, you know, Andre Drummond, you know, you know, Wayne Ellington's, you know, the, 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 you know, Luke Canards, those guys are really, really, you know, and one, one guy that, that's really stepped up is Don Maker. Don yeah. out of Milwaukee has really given them a boost. I mean, the kid's seven feet, one inches tall, you know, uh, he's got a good frame. And I remember coaching him at the top 100. And uh, he, he was, he, you could tell that he, he was going to be a player in this league. So a lot of times it's just about finding your niche and being able to get the minutes. And I think he might have uh, solidified himself in that, in that lineup. You, um, your time from the Pistons from 96 to 2001, um, I think was so underrated. Um, you look at that team, you had Allen Houston and you had Brent Hill on the same team. Um, two clean brothers, two guys that were striving and, gr- and grinding. And injuries kind of cut their careers kind of short. I-, I talked to Grant Hill about a week ago, and we were talking about LeBron James. And right. you would be qualified to answer this question. So I asked Grant if he thought LeBron and him had similar games. I told him that I think that LeBron was – or he was LeBron before LeBron. Having played with Grant, do you see similarities between LeBron James and Grant Hill? Absolutely. I mean, he was, you know, he was the original LeBron, but he was being compared to Jordan and Mike and Jordan and Scottie Pippen. So that was the difference between, you know, Grant Hill era uh, prior to LeBron. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, um, you know, that, that, that's why would that comparison would have been a lot more, you know, uh, uh, noticeable because people would have been talking about it more. He was he was always a gamer, but you know, in order to be compared with the greats, you got to get out that first round, and that's the thing that uh, that hurt Grant that he wasn't able to, you know, actually, you know, get get carry his team. Having played with Allen Houston, um, and even playing with other pure shooters like Jamal Crawford, and where do you rank? And having played against Ray Allen as well in the NCAA tournament, where do you rank Allen Houston as far as shooters uh, in the NBA? Do you, do, is he in your top ten? Wow, he has to be in my top ten. That was uh, one of the pure shooters I played with. Dell Curry is another one um, that that. You know, I could just tell you, you know, the way those two guys shot the ball with their release, how quick they were off the off the catch and shoot. Um, those were two two of two of the best, you know, all around. I played with Joe Dumars at the end of his career. Um, he was also a good shooter, um, more from the top of the key. Mm-hmm. But Allen and Dell. They were just all over the court. I mean, it was anywhere on the court. They were deadly. You were on a Toronto Raptors team, uh, in my mind, uh, that was ahead of his time. I spoke with uh, Isaiah Thomas on the Scoopy Radio podcast, NBA Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. And he talked about how he actually consulted with the offensive and a defensive coordinator on that Raptors team. Um, You guys had Vince. You had... 
um, yourself, you had T-Mac, um, a myriad of other people uh, on that team that really comprised uh, Toronto Raptors greatness. Um, what was that team like before Drake? <laughs> before Drake became a Toronto fixture? What was the culture in Toronto like? What was the raft? What were the Raptors like? Well, you know, playing under Hall of Fame coach Lenny Wilkins, I mean, that was just, that was phenomenal. He had a group of young, uh, as well as uh, experienced veterans. It was a great mix of players. And that chemistry even made it even better. Unfortunately, Tracy Murray, uh, Tracy McGrady had been traded when I got, before, right before I got traded. So um, we had Keon Clark, mm-hmm. Chris Childs, and, uh, you know, later we had, you know, the dream, Keen Olajuwon as well. So uh, very well, well-rounded team, you know, with some older shooters and some veterans. You know Charles Oakley, Antonio Davis. So it was a it was a good mix of guys, young talent, and Morris Peterson, Alvin Williams, and Vince Carter, and uh, myself. So it was it was fun. Guys coming into their prime, and guys with a little bit past their prime. You mentioned Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, obviously, people remember him most for playing with the Houston Rockets. But his footwork was undeniable. Um, He was like a soccer player playing basketball. Right. How special is it? How how difficult was it to guard him in practice? Well, thank God I didn't have to guard him in practice. (laughs) I had had some other problems I had to deal with. Keon Clark, Charles Oakley. I mean, two different players. I mean, one player was, you know, stuck in quicksand. The other one was jumping out the gym. but, you know, the other one had knowledge of the game, he was smart to pass, to rebound, to play defense. And the other one could throw your ball into the stands and jump over you and dunk on you. So it was, it was, it was definitely kept me on my toes, so to speak. And when I wasn't guarding one of them, I had to guard Antonio Davis. So yeah, Dream Shake, he was, he had, he was, he was on the, he was on the center position. Uh-huh. But his footwork was, was impeccable. He was still doing the shape all throughout the season. Um, and if Andrew Bug hadn't bit him a little bit towards the end, he would he would also help us, uh, you know, beat up on the Pistons in the in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> Scoopy Radio on the line with Jerome, Jeff Young, Doug Williams. You know, I I've often said this. I feel like when you when you look at um, Hakeem Olajuwon and the era that he played in, Michael Jordan it dra- resoundingly drowns out everything because he's Michael Jordan. No, no shade thrown, he's Michael Jordan. But when I look at Hakeem Olajuwon and Reggie Miller, I don't think that people could tr- tr- truly appreciate their body of work or their talent. They're appreciated, but but the attention was maybe diverted elsewhere. Playing with Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, what is something that maybe you learned about him that maybe you didn't know? And and what, what I just what was he like? Well, he was like a comedian. That was one thing. I, you know, he was a very funny guy. Um, whenever I'd come in the locker room, he'd start chanting, J-Y-D, J-Y-D, <laughs> like every time, like just like the fans would chant. So it was, it was you know, he, he was a comedian. Um, and then also uh, knowledge of the game. 
just always willing to sh- uh, share and, and and tell you what he thinks his thoughts are and how to get better and show you some of his footwork. You know, and he gave me a few moves. A couple of them I used on Kevin Kevin Garnett a few times. His little up and under show and and back back over the left uh, left shoulder with the right hook. So stuff like that. Um, you know, he he was known for in the locker room just being a good teammate. I look at Kevin Garnett, and I also think he's one of the greatest. Uh, he's a tweener because he came in being a seven footer with with handles for days. Um, mm-hmm. But but he ended up. I was watching some type of. I was watching NBA ankle breakers when I was in college, and. They were trying to make the comparison to Hakeem and Kevin Garnett as far as just footwork. Where do you draw the line of footwork between KG and Hakeem Olajuwon? Well, I mean, they're two different players, number one. He was, you know, uh, K, KG was uh, also more of a face-up player and, and further out uh, than Hakeem was. And Hakeem was more of a low-post player. Um, KD could play low-post, but he favored uh, elbow work, you know, mid-range, and then working his way to the block. So, uh, you know, Akeem Olajuwon has some of the best footwork, you know, in NBA history. You know, just to just to clear up that point, right. uh, KG, had, KG had good footwork, you know, a person that reminds me now, Akeem is Joel Embiid. Embiid's hmm. footwork is, 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 is very clean, very polished. Can go either hand, um, has the athleticism that Akeem had, plays both sides of the floor, block shots, runs the floor, um, and can take you outside as well, just like Akeem hit a jump shot on you. So, uh, but in terms of comparing him and KG, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd put KG in the category of Dirk Nowinski, uh, Rasheed Wallace, and Tim Duncan. You know, compare KG to somebody, pair, compare him to his era of greatness of this of the power forward position because those are the people I had to guard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to throw Chris Weber in there as well, um, but uh, those those guys are elite power forwards. All of them are Hall of Famers, and you know could play the game. When I was playing in college in my dorm room, um, it, when I was setting up my lineups defensively. I love putting you on threes and fours, but offensively, it was a struggle because I feel like today or back then it was about finesse. Like the the the, the three, the, the small forward or the shooting guard was was the guy. But I feel like the advantage that you had was you personally could defend the two five position five if you had to. In today's NBA game, it's positionless. I feel like you would fit in today's game differently than you would the old game. For you, do you see that the, the game is changing for somebody who's 6'9 like yourself? Do you feel like you would have fit better in today's era versus the decade before? Where, where do you draw that line? Um, well, I definitely look at today's era uh, with, with more three-point shots going up. Um, there's more opportunities for uh, – you know, guys who had the skill set to be able to take down offensive rebounds. Sure. Um, not only that, uh, the game is a lot faster, which was, you know, part of my game. I like to get up and down. I look at guys like Pascal Siak, um, who's almost uh, averaging 17 points a game this year. 
and very versatile player, very energetic player. Um, plays a little inside, a little outside, uh, but most of it facing the basket, you know, you know, you know, attacking the rim. And that's why that's what I used to like. I used to also look at people like Draymond Green. Cool. Plays tough defense, um, can ball handle a little bit, but has shooters around him. The floor spacing is is impeccable from the Golden State Warriors, which allows them to pick his spots um, and and flirts with triple doubles. Uh-huh. The, the, you know, those are the kind of players I see myself um, patterned towards in today's game. Uh, just depending on what kind of team you're on, most teams want to shoot a lot of threes, but do they have the personnel to do it? The Raptors do, Golden State does. And uh, amongst other teams, like you know, maybe uh, Portland Trailblazers and and others, but uh, I definitely definitely would have enjoyed playing in this era. I enjoyed my era as well, mm-hmm. but there were it was more um, like you said, position basketball back in the day. Now it is position led, so they expect you and they want to utilize all those different skills that, skill sets that you have versus. You know, my hair, hey, this is our point guard. Get him the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is our power forward. Pass it to him on the block. Like, it's not like that no more. It's just, you know, you're moving around. It's, it's freedom of movement. There's flashing, cutting, and you have to be able to, you know, pass the ball, catch the ball, finish at the rim, uh, as well as shoot the, shoot the long ball, shoot the mid-range. So it would have been fun. Yeah, and I and I'm in no shade when I said that. It did it, it just to me looking back on it, like I remember coming home from high school and the, and then the other person that was on the game that kinda like Tyson Chandler, I felt like early in the game they were trying to figure out if he was a three, he was a four, he was a five. And yeah. you know, now people knew I think when he won the championship and then when he went to the Knicks, they people knew his role. But he was a guy that could handle, he was tall and I think he was still growing. Yeah, he was. I was his teammate in Chicago. He was still growing. Um, and, uh, you know, he I remember that year he was having some back issues because he grew so fast. Um, and uh, he, he he had to get used to the the grind and the bump and everything else. But once he once he got got into that, man, I mean, this guy was jumping out the gym, playing both sides of the rim. And, uh, Really, a, a tremendous rim protector, and with the right point guard, can really be dynamic. And that's what happened when he got teamed up with Chris Paul. Sure, sure. Scooby Ray on the line with Jerome Jokic, Doug Wayne. You, you, uh, you're energetic. You've done basketball without borders. You played in the NBA. You're doing big three. I can't wait till you open up a a a a, um, a, a birthday party emceeing service. You're just full of energy. <laughs> what are you doing outside of basketball that, that people don't know that they should know about? Oh, man. You know what? I think most people don't know that I do a program called Shooting for Peace with their chapter of Legends of the Retired Players Association. Mm-hmm. And it's a program that uh, basically uh, rewards high school kids with college scholarships. Uh, within the last four years, we've uh, given out $4.7 million in scholarships to HBCUs. Like mm-hmm. Talladega, Concordia, Alabama State, uh, Virginia, uh, Commonwealth University, um, and, and others. And the program itself is uh, kids receiving all types of digital education in school. So in high schools, middle schools, and elementary, they receive our African American 306 program powered by EverFi. 
They receive financial literacy. They also receive STEM programs and uh, diversity programs, uh, all in school, paid for by the chapters of the Retired Players Association, National Retired Players Association. And we go out to these schools and do assemblies at All-Star Weekend and also throughout the year. Uh, panel discussions where kids uh, submit their poems uh, for poetry contests and essay contests uh, to receive prizes from us. And, and we do a little game. We have a game during All-Star Weekend where we play the challenge, the hosting uh, high school teams, basketball team, and uh, I have a lot of fun with that. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great program. Shooting for Peace. Um, it's you know website is shootingforpeace.com. If kids out there want to uh, read up on it or, or companies like to get more involved with us, but uh, it, it's great because, like I said, it reaches a lot of kids right now. We've had over almost eight thousand kids uh, come through the program. Our goal is to have a hundred thousand kids uh-huh. in the next two years um, go through the program and. You know, it's all paid for by, uh, you know, retired players. We have some current players doing the program in the NBA. Um, Wilson Chandler is one of them. Omer Asik, uh, Corey Joseph uh, from Indiana Pacers. He also uh-huh. did a program. And when I say did a program, like basically he funded uh, some schools in uh, Toronto. Wilson Chandler funded some schools as well as Omer Asik uh, funded some schools in New Orleans and Chicago. So we have heard guys out here, you know, in the NBA, you know, doing good things and teaming up with uh, legends like myself to uh, supply kids with education and opportunities uh, to get scholarships. And uh, that's that's a lot of fun for me. That's what I really uh, enjoy to do uh, during my spare time. Um, Vince Carter, you mentioned um, – what it was like playing with him. Uh, I spoke to Mikey Moore and retired me to play Mikey Moore. He told me that he believes that Vince could play until he's 45 or 46. That's how athletic he is. What say you? I don't never put a cap on age. You know, I came back and played in the big three at 45. So I don't, I don't ever cap how old you could possibly be. All I know is, is if you take care of your body, as Vince has done, uh, if you're diligent in what in your work ethic, which which Vince has shown, if you're willing to teach younger players, um, you know, they, they, there's pretty much, and your body can hold up. Yeah, there's no limit because you always need a veteran in the locker room on 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 giving teams where they're young and they're trying to improve their team, but might not like have the pieces to to be a playoff uh, uh-huh. you know contender there's always those jobs in the NBA and Vince has found a nice niche for himself where he's shown that that's his niche he's willing to go come off the bench you know play spot minutes and for some superstars that is a tough pill to swallow uh, Carmelo Anthony you know has had a hard time making transition because you know, it's 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 a decision you have to make as a player. How do you want this to end? Do you want to, you know, help a young team, or do you want to keep chasing the, the the trophy in the ring? And when you chase the trophy in the ring, a lot of times those careers end abruptly 
because teams, you know, have to go a certain direction. Either they have to young, let the young players play or they have to get better through trades. Yeah. Do you think that he'll be on the team, though, next year? Is that who will be on the team next year? Car- Carmelo. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he will be on the team next year. I hope he'll be on a big three team next year. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Jerome, um, I'm wishing you well this season, man. The, the big three, if I'm not mistaken, they added a couple more teams to the, to the league. Am I right? Added four new teams to the league. We're very excited about it. We got Agent Zero coming back, Gilbert Arenas. We got Joe Johnson in the lineup. Um, a lot of new faces, man. Josh Smith. Uh, we even got the Jet, Jason Terry. He said he's going to be the four-point assassin, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm like, man, anybody comes in telling us he's going to be the four-point assassin and has never played one ounce of three-on-three basketball, but he is an NBA veteran that can shoot the lights out. And uh, I can't wait to see him flying around in the arenas in his Jet. Who out of the new players that are playing are you most looking forward to playing against? Uh, Gilbert Reeves, obviously. That man, he's got a lot of trash talk on his mind, and that's what the big three is all about. He's about trash talking. He's even trash talking his own teammates. Telling him he don't want to play with anybody he didn't play with as a, as a <laughs> when he was in the league because they understand he's going to shoot every time. So he said, run around, set screens for him, and, and go rebound the ball. <laughs> I like it. Junkyard Dog Williams, join the Scoop B Radio, brother. I see you down the line during the summer, man. Keep doing your thing. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on the show, Scoop. Dog Pound, shout out. <laughs> Scoop B Radio. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.